Welcome to Health Rants. Join us and learn how not to let healthcare rip you off or kill you. Together, we will explore the secrets of healthcare and give you insight on how to make a better and informed decision about your health and your healthcare. I'm Dr. Bob Braille. I'm a chiropractor for over 40 years, and I've seen it and heard it all. So welcome to our podcast, Health Rants. Hello, welcome to another episode of Health Rants, and today we do have some stuff to rant about. Uh, as we're recording this, we are right in the middle of the coronavirus, the COVID-19 epidemic. It is the end of March, and uh, the numbers are expanding drastically, but I wanted to not focus necessarily on that specifically. We will have some experts in future episodes come in and speak to that. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about the holes in healthcare. Uh, because it affects this and people who are dealing with the coronavirus uh, very intensely. Let's start off with something for a second. Uh, There was a a bill passed just a little while ago that addresses this issue, and the bill was the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. Now, what that bill basically did was make it so that anybody who suspects they have the coronavirus, who needs testing, if their doctor approves, they have to go to the doctor, if their doctor approves it, that doctor visit and the test would be covered by the uh, government. However, what's not mentioned in there, or at least it's not in the law at all, is that any subsequent treatment, if you have to go to the hospital, if you have to have treatment for coronavirus, that's covered by your regular insurance, but not at 100%. Meaning that if you have a copayment, a deductible, or something like that, and in today's insurance, Most people have tremendous deductibles. I mean, we just are starting with some new insurance, which I'm going to talk about in a few minutes. And our deductible is $13,000 for the family, uh, which is not uncommon. I think most of them now are, the low ones are five, and the the other ones are 10, 20 grand for uh, deductible. And then there's co-payments. And then, then eventually, hopefully, hit your maximum. But by then, you've spent an awful lot of money. And for a society where I understand that most people don't have 400 extra dollars to come up on an expense if necessary. This is a serious hit to anybody considering treatment, and it may be a deterrent from someone considering even getting tested in the first place. You know, they may have the flu symptoms, think they might have corona, and they'll just, look, I'll sit it out at home, I'll just isolate myself, and uh, as much as the isolation is good at this point, uh, it's dangerous that other things might not develop and you can't get the treatment. You know, uh, you know, I was a big fan of, um, you know, the healthcare system and how it was working. And uh, I know when uh, the, the political campaigns were coming around, Bernie Sanders was talking about, and Elizabeth Warren and Sanders were talking about uh, uh, Medicare for All. And I, I don't know if I was necessarily a fan of that until this episode hit. And then I started to think seriously about it. Now, this is not a political rant. This is more of a let's look at healthcare from a consumer standpoint for a moment. And uh, let's talk a little bit about that. We have currently some 27 million people who have no insurance. Now, even if the government pays for them to go to the doctor and then get a test, it doesn't pay for anything beyond that. So that means they're gonna show up to the hospitals, they're gonna be getting treatment or care that might be necessary. And uh, in the big uh, bill that just passed, the two plus two, trillion dollar bill that just passed, the hospitals are going to get some of that money back because they're treating people who obviously can't afford care. 
But what about the average working person, the average Joe, the person who owns a house and, you know, they need to get treatment, but they're getting killed. I mean, they got to shell out 10 grand if something goes on here from from this coronavirus thing. And, uh, you know, then they have to check their plan. They have to see what the deductible is. I mean, there's so many different plans. It's almost unmanageable for the private individual to figure out what they're supposed to do in a, an emergency situation like this. You know, uh, there's articles all over the uh, news right now about, uh, you know, people falling through the cracks and how are they going to get tested? How are they going to get cared for? You know, what are they going to do with their big deductible, with their co-payments and everything that they can? And keeping in mind that in many cases, these people are now out of work. You know, they're furloughed. They're out of a job. Uh, maybe their insurance is gone because they're not even working. And, and here we are in a situation where during the height of an epidemic, we don't cover our people and our people have to worry about how they're going to pay for this terrible, terrible epidemic, this pandemic that's going around right now. Um, I wanted to add to this a little personal experience here because this I thought was kind of amazing and, and, and frustrating on my end. Uh, recently, we were in a position where we had to change our insurances. And, and, and I'm talking about like right now. Uh, I was previously covered under a HMO for Kaiser Permanente. And it covers me through the next one day. <laughs> As I'm sitting here recording this, when you hear this, I will really not be covered by them. And um, so we knew this was coming about about a month ago. And I went on the healthcare.gov website and figured, let me go into the marketplace and look. Now, the, the open enrollment's gone. But since I'm losing insurance, I was able to put in there that, yes, I'm losing insurance. I wanted a target date of April 1st. And... Uh, I filled out the thing and said, you're eligible. Now submit documents that say that, you know, that you're losing your insurance. And in fact, they sent me a letter um, from healthcare.gov from the marketplace here. And it clearly at the very top in bold underlined uh, text said, action required by April 4th, 2020. You are not enrolled in marketplace coverage. Now, obviously, this was March the 5th. I got this letter, uh, this uh, emailed letter. And yes, of course, I'm not enrolled yet because I, I haven't, you know, I've selected one I like, but I haven't been approved. I haven't paid for it, all that good stuff. Um, we, we had targeted April 1st as the date. I thought it was a little bit odd that they listed April 4th as the date I have to have the documents in. But in any event, I went online and submitted a document from my company that said that, uh, okay, you are, uh, uh, the insurance for this uh, plan is discontinuing as of this date. And I sent it in. A couple of days later, I think it took me uh, to get that letter probably a little less than a week. So I sent it in probably around the 13th or something like that. A um, couple of days later, uh, now it's about the 19th, I get a letter back that that's insufficient documentation, even though they will take a letter from your employer, insufficient documentation because they didn't specifically list me and my wife as being recipients on that policy, even though it had the policy number and was referenced and everything else. It just didn't specifically have mine and my wife's name on it. So I contacted the company and they sent me a letter. And on the 19th, I submitted a letter back to them. And then two or three days later, it says, okay, you're approved. Wonderful. Once you pay, everything's hunky-dory. I paid my portion of the premium under the healthcare.gov thing. You get some discounts. So when I paid my portion of the premium, I said, okay, we're all good. Everything's going to be just fine. I get a letter back from uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield, the company we've selected, 
that says you are now covered as of May the 1st. And I realized, wait a minute, I had requested April the 1st. Not May the 1st, April the 1st. And I looked at all the documentation. There was nothing there that said there'd be a problem with that. And so I called up Blue Cross and Blue Shield, and they said, well, that's, that wasn't us. That's, you know, the, the marketplace. You'll have to contact them. So, okay, I mean, I, can you guys do I can't do anything about it. Well, this is when you start, May 1st. I said, well, my other insurance ends March 31st. Yeah, you'll have to contact the marketplace. So I contacted the marketplace and spoke to a, you know, a nice woman on the phone who was, uh, it took me a while to get somebody on the phone, but I got a, a nice woman on the phone who basically said, well, your documentation wasn't completed by March the 15th. I says, well, what do you mean March the 15th? Clearly on the letter here, it says action required by April the 4th. Well, that's for the total span of when you'd be eligible. I said, but, but nothing here said I had to have anything in by March the 15th in order to be covered by April 1st, the target date. And I went through all the papers with her, and there is nothing that says that. That's an internal date. Somehow in the marketplace that if your documentation is not to them 15 days before you wanted coverage, they're not going, even though they don't tell you that ahead of time. If they told me that ahead of time, I would have pushed as hard as I can at my company to get it in earlier. But so basically my documentation made it to them by the 18th, three days after their, their 15th unknown to me cutoff date. So now I'm in a situation during the height of a pandemic where my insurance ends, okay, on March the 31st. My new insurance starts one month later on May the 5th. So during the height of a pandemic, I am uninsured. And I told the woman, I said, look, I'm 64 years old. I says, I'm uninsured. I'm going to be on Medicare in six months. I am uninsured now, you know. Myself and my wife, my 63-year-old wife, are uninsured for a month during the heart of a pandemic. I says, ma'am, I know you're not in charge of this. I said, but you will talk to your superiors. This is wrong. This is wrong because of a date, a deadline that I was never notified of. And, I, and my, my rant about this is really the bureaucracy of what is taking place here in healthcare. You know, I wasn't always necessarily a fan of a single pay system. But man, it would be nice to be under, you know, when you get into your 50s and into your 60s, you start looking at that date when you're going to be on Medicare and then everything starts. It's one set of rules, one game, you know what you're doing. And if you want to buy reinsurance for the small deductible co-pays, you go get it. But that is looking more and more appealing to me every single day. Well, I got six months for it. I just can't get sick in the next 30 days. I can't have anything happening. I can't get hurt. I can't get injured. Nothing. If I break a leg, I need to get in the car and crash the car and then blame the insurance on the car. But <laughs> I wouldn't do that. But seriously, my wife and I will be bare, naked, no insurance for 30 days during the height of a pandemic that is killing thousands of people. Incredible that our healthcare system would allow us to happen. And I also think about the 27 million people in the same boat who also have no insurance. And how about the 100 million who are grossly underinsured, where if they get something and they have a $10,000, well, they don't have $10,000 lying around to pick up their co-payment. The system is broken. The system is broken. And I don't know, and I'm not, you know, the politician to decide whether or not it's, it's Medicare for all or some other kind of system, but we are the only nation, only industrialized, advanced nation that has this kind of a system 
and it's really being laid bare during the height of this type of a scenario. This is this is a terrible, terrible scenario. This this uh, coronavirus pandemic, and yet we're putting people in risk and making it difficult to get what they need. This is really an absurdity, uh, and it doesn't end there. I give you another example. Something else that happened to me uh, now that this whole scenario is gone, and it's another catch twenty two actually. Um, I wear contact lenses. I've been wearing contact lenses for about a decade now, maybe maybe a little less than that. And, uh, you know, I buy like a pack of daily contact lenses for, you know, 90 days or something like that. And then, like everybody else who does that, you stretch them. You take good care of them, you wash them, you put them in a little holder, and you wear them many more times than one day. And they feel uncomfortable, you throw them out, you go get the next one. So you stretch well beyond the 90 days that, you know, they're supposed to, if you only wear them one day and throw them out, one and throw them out, you know, you go through the cleaning procedures like you would a contact you would be using more than a day and you stretch them out, saves you some money like every other American wants to do. And as long as they're not irritating your eyes, as long as you see fine out of it, as long as it's not hurting you that you can notice, you just keep going like that. I've thrown some out that I didn't like after a day or two and then got the next pair. Sometimes I've gone a couple of weeks actually with the same contacts because they felt fine. So I had no need to swap them out. But that, that being aside, um, I realized my supply was getting a little bit low. And so I decided I was going to go get some more contacts. And, and I get mine through the optical center at, at Walmart, like millions of other Americans do. And uh, so I, I called them up. Or actually, I went online and tried to uh, purchase some more at the same prescription because these seem to work really well. This type and this number and everything works fine. And uh, I got this, you know, thing, okay, you fill out the form, you go through the online stuff, and then they turn around, and they say, submit your prescription. Well, I had to go looking for one. I really don't, you know, who keeps those things around for your, for your contact lens? I found an older one. I didn't actually find the most recent one. And I just submitted it, thinking, okay. And, of course, I got a note back that they dug one up that was more recent than the one I sent them, and they rejected me because it was older than a year. Okay, it's older than a year. I would prefer not to have to go down there and get an eye exam in the middle of a pandemic, but so I, I happened to be going by Walmart to buy some essential supplies. I stopped in there and uh, spoke to the woman. I says, look, uh, I guess I'm going to need an eye exam. Well, because of the pandemic, we're not doing eye exams. I says, wait a minute, can I get my prescription filled in? No, you have to have an eye exam. But I can't have an eye exam. Correct. So how is everybody who's running out of contact lenses going to get new ones if you require an eye exam, but you've shut down all your eye exams? I don't know. So well, somebody's not thinking about this. Don't you think they should suspend the rule about, you know, requiring eye exams? If, if they're working fine, uh, can we just make that work? Well, it turns out there might be a law like that or something or other. At least that's what some people claim. There was a law that says you got to have it. I don't know about that. you got to have an eye exam within a year. I don't know about that being true. I don't know if that being true in any other health profession, certainly not mine, uh, that you've got to have an exam within a year. That's, that's nothing I'm aware of. I think it's an internal policy. But nonetheless, we think about the bureaucracy of, okay, let's just say you broke your glasses and it had been over a year, if you wore glasses, and it had been over a year since you've had an eye exam. And you went to get new glasses, but you were required to have an eye exam, and they've shut down all the eye exams because of the coronavirus. 
supposed to like just wander around sightless for a while. And, and I'm, by the way, this is a hypothetical. I'm sure there's somebody with this problem. I'm sure as we're listening right now that there is somebody out there with broken glasses who can't get new glasses because the optometrists are closed because of the coronavirus and they're not willing to bend the rule or at least change the rule or if it isn't even a rule, whatever it is, to allow them to get new glasses made or new contacts shipped from their company. I mean, the absurdity of how this works is absolutely crazy. You know, we're in a system right now that, that is not handling people well. We're in a system with a, with a private, you know, a lot of different private enterprises. I mean, we talk about, you know, do we really want the government to handle all of this? Well, you know, honestly, yeah, I think I'd prefer to have Medicare over different private insurances because they're looking to make money on me. The government's losing money on me. I know that part of it. it certainly is on all the Medicare patients. But, you know, our health insurance system is not geared towards, you know, protecting people first. It's, and I'm not talking about the workers, man. These, are, these people right now are heroes. You know, your nurses, your doctors, they're heroes going in in a situation like this where they know it could affect them, it could affect their families, could affect their careers and their lives from this point forward. These people are absolute heroes. The problem is not them. The problem is the system that they are shackled to. The fact that they are stuck in a system whereby they have to call for approvals, find out what the coverage is, tell people whether or not they have to pay. I mean, we should have one simple set of rules. I don't know if it's Medicare for all. I don't know what it is. That's for people who have a lot more time and politics to deal with than I do. But we need to have a system that is easy to understand. From the time you're born until the time you leave this world, you should have some sort of a system that you at least understand. Yeah, maybe there's co-payments, maybe it's deductibles, maybe, it, but at least you know what the game is. The fact that the game has been changing, you know, years ago, uh, when insurances became a big deal, I mean, when I was a kid, we didn't even have insurance. You took me to the doctor, my parents paid. Later on, insurance became a thing, you know, a health insurance for most people. And you know what it was? You had a deductible, and it was usually in the $100 to $200 range. And then your insurance was 80-20. In fact, across the board, most insurances were 80-20, meaning the insurance would pay 80%, you paid the 20%. And once you got to a certain number, which was usually around five, $6,000, out of your own pocket, the insurance paid 100%. And, you know, I remember doctors doing things like, oh, we'll take the 80%, we'll live on that. And so people could go to the doctor actually for free. And then insurances started to get wise to that. I guess it was cutting to their profits, so they started coming out with, you know, PPOs and HMOs and restricted ways. And then, and then it got down to where they were even restricting the coverage and what doctors you could go see. So the whole idea of freedom in healthcare has been gone for a while. The idea and the argument that, oh, we don't want to go to socialism, man, we're in a worse than socialistic system as far as the healthcare goes. We used to have freedom to choose our doctors. And we knew parts of it were going to be paid for and parts weren't. Now we have none of those freedoms. We are at the, at the mercy of a, of a company, uh, either an employer and their negotiation skills or a union and their negotiation. But they're still working with an insurance company who underlyingly has to make profit off of people's sicknesses and health care. So the, the system is grossly broken like that. So there are lots of holes in health care. And at present, with the coronavirus situation, I think this is probably the most dangerous time and possibly, you know, a blessing in disguise in that it is absolutely exposing how dangerous our healthcare system is. You know, we're probably, as I'm recording this, not halfway in. 
Um, you know, I think at the, we're at the end of March. It will be the end of April before we start to see what the real numbers are. And uh, a little personal uh, note here, you know, I, I run a chiropractic office and a clinic. And uh, just a week ago, we were open seeing patients, taking care of folks. We did everything we could to, uh, you know, scrub the place and make sure it was as sanitized as possible, tables between each patient. And then, um, you know, I, we had heard a couple of patients who had been in contact with somebody who had tested positive, and we would do special, like one of them I adjusted in the parking lot because I, you know, they didn't want them to come into the building. Uh, but unbeknownst to me, and there were people who had been coming in who had been in contact with someone, you know, and most of them probably didn't know either. They found out later. But uh, Monday we were seeing patients. On Tuesday morning, I woke up and I have some symptoms. Huh. Well, I'm faced with a big question there. Well, we immediately pulled a plug. I shut the place down. I'm not going to see people if I'm symptomatic. It may be nothing, but I'm symptomatic. Okay, now later that day and in, in that afternoon, the county uh, declared a state of emergency and, and put a shelter-in-place order out. So that means most of the patients couldn't come see me anyway. Uh, however, uh, you know, had, had we been, you know, following protocol, had I been 100%, we could have. But I decided not necessarily for my safety, because I was already slightly symptomatic, but for the safety of my patients, especially my more vulnerable and older ones, I'm done. I'm not seeing patients right now. So we shuttered the place up. Um, I, uh, fortunately, since I am a, a doctor, a healthcare worker, I was able to get through my insurance company uh, the okay to go get tested. Now, that was amazing because basically most of the public can't go get testing. The fact that I am in healthcare was the reason they allowed me to go get testing. So the following day on that Wednesday, I drove uh, with my wife, who's been exposed to me or not at this point. You know, she'd been with me all along. So well, we were taking precautions, but still, she's in the same household. It's me and her together. We don't see our grandchildren right now. I don't see my children. That breaks my heart. But uh, so we drove down for the testing. They uh, stick this uh, swab up your nose until it touches your brain. That's kind of what it feels like. It's not that terrible, but it's certainly not pleasant. And uh, they say, okay, you'll get your results in five to seven days. Now, this was, uh, this was uh, five days ago at this point. Actually, it was uh, six days ago at this point. And I'm you know, still awaiting my results. Now, I don't know if that's five to seven total days or working days, so it might be the end of this week, three or four more days before I get results. The fact is, I actually went through some symptoms over the next couple of days, ran a fever and a few other things here. And typically, you know, at this point, you look at the symptoms that they tell you you're going to see online. And yeah, I seem to have the same symptoms. Uh, not that bad, to be honest. Uh, you know, the breathing wasn't really that labored. It was a little, little more shortness of breath than I'm used to, but not to where I would call it uh, dangerous in my feeling. Um, dry cough, yeah. Fever, low grade, 102, something like that. Um, and so, yeah, you know what? I'm isolating. You know, the only advantage is I'm not shaving, so I don't have to shave myself. That's wonderful. I'm uh, getting that gray look on my beard instead. So, you know, as the days went on, I'm feeling better and better. I'm still not going out. I'm still just, you know, hanging around. Um, yesterday, I'm feeling so good. I'm doing household projects, you know, I'm digging in the garden, I'm doing stuff outside, I'm, you know, I'm isolated, but I'm, I'm doing jobs that I wanted to do for weeks and months that I haven't gotten to. So, you know, I've done a whole lot of work at the house. In fact, uh, you know, I, we have some more supplies, I'm going to do some more work today at the house. 
But uh, the interesting thing is this. When I finally get my results, I will probably be completely, if I'm not now, completely asymptomatic. So that means even if I got tested, which I did the day after I got symptomatic, um, there was no way to know to protect all these other than completely isolate. And, you know, what if I had like a little tiny nothing and I've completely isolated and shut down my clinic because of that? It would have been nice to get the testing and to have been able to, uh, uh, you know, find the answer right away. And part of that has to do with the profit sector of, of healthcare. Um, I was listening to someone, and I'm not sure who it was, who um, was speaking uh, on one of the TV shows, and they were talking about the idea that the reason that we're so short of beds for an emergency like this in the United States is because most all of our beds are profit. Uh, I mean, except for maybe the VA and a few other things. Um, all of the hospitals are private enterprises. I mean, they're, they could be nonprofits, but they're still private. They're not going to build two, 300 extra beds that will never be used. In fact, their survivability depends upon using like 80% of their beds at any given time. So there's not thousands of beds extra. Whereas if the system is not built for that, if it's strictly a governmental type system, they can build a thousand extra beds, leave them vacant for a decade until they are necessary. You know, in that kind of a scenario, uh, some of the other countries have an and now now we have the Army Corps of Engineers coming and setting up thousands of beds and they brought in hospital ships now that are taking the people who are not uh, COVID positive and, and putting them in there so that the hospitals can be uh, strictly locked down for COVID po uh, positive people. And yeah, we're ramping up, but but we're ramping up as the curve is ahead of us. Uh, the testing, I mean, the numbers in the United States are growing up dramatically as far as positive tests. And I'll tell you why. Because they're just starting to test. I mean, I'm not, if, if I am positive, if I have tested positive, I'm not in that statistic yet because my test results haven't come back. And I mine were done a week ago, you know. And I was in a long line of cars of people at a fairground, you know, long line of cars that were going all day long to get to this little tent with these people in hazmat suits who would stick this thing up my nose, put it in an envelope, put my name on it, and off it goes to the lab. And I, granted, they're under an amazing amount of stress, those people. God bless those people for being there. You know, they're, they're heroes as well. But, you know, think about the system that's not capable of checking our population quickly. You know, we talk about this nipping in the bud, you know, for those of us who remember the Andy Griffith show from way back when, Nipping in the Bud by Don Knotts. But uh, I diverse. But that being said, you know, we do not have a system that can handle emergencies quickly. You know, you think about the tragedy of the, the mass shooting out in uh, uh, Los, uh, Las Vegas a few years back. And I mean, it was terrible that they couldn't handle it. They weren't equipped for it. Our private systems are not necessarily equipped for it. And I think that's probably a big hole in our health care. You know, now maybe there's a blend necessary, private, public blend. I don't know. Like I said, there are smarter politicians out there who will be able to handle that. And this is not a Democrat or Republican issue. This is an American people issue. We have a system that costs more than everybody else's and doesn't work. And it certainly doesn't work in a pandemic like this, where now we're shuttering our people and we're all worried about it, you know. I'm not worried about what we call the system. I'm not worried about if it's called Medicare. I'm not worried about if somebody labels it socialism. That's not it. I am worried about whether or not people can get care when they need it. And can they do it without going broke? 
You know, most everybody knows now that half of all bankruptcies in the United States are due to medical bills. You know, I mean, I've been blessed in my life. It's not like I'm sitting on a mountain of cash, but I've been blessed in my life enough that I own my own home. And I've also been able to get very modest homes for my children. But God forbid something happens to me, especially in the next month here, and the bills pile up. I mean, you could have people going after my kids' homes, wanting to throw them out to get their home to pay for the bills. Well, you know, I've decided that happens. I'm just not going to go. You know, I'll take care of myself as best I can. But God forbid I'm in an accident or something happens, a tree falls on me. You know, i got to be real careful over the next, get bubble wrap, put bubble wrap all over my body for the next month. But, uh, you know, aside of that, and I don't know if that would help, I'd probably suffocate and then wind up in the hospital. Aside of that, we have a system that has lots of holes in it and needs fixing. The whole purpose of this particular rant was to deal with that. Now, we will have experts who will specifically speak about virology, about the coronavirus. That's coming up soon in future episodes. But for this one, we have holes in our system that can't deal with the type of crisis we are in right now. Nevertheless, the ongoing health care needs of Americans without extreme costs. So something I wanted to rant about, something I wanted to look forward to dealing with in the future. And thank you very much for being a part of this episode of Health Rants. You have been listening to Health Rants. My name is Dr. Bob Braille, and I've been your host. Subscribe to this podcast and join us for future rants on a large variety of subjects related to health and health care. Thank you for listening to Health Rants. Health Rants is sponsored by Braille Chiropractic. Find out more and listen to previous episodes on our website, www.braillechiropractic.com. That's B-R-A-I-L-E chiropractic.com. The opinions on this podcast are meant to encourage discussion on healthcare issues and are not meant as specific medical or healthcare advice. You should only seek health advice from your healthcare professionals. This has been Health Rants.